Welcome to the Mage Podcast, the podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Hey Holden, you doing good? Look, if it's uh, your 50-something, 53rd time listening, thank you. I appreciate you coming back and back and back and back. And if it's your first time, hey Holden, a whole bunch of cool episodes to listen to in the past. If you're listening to this for the first time, you're probably a big fan of Australian hardcore. Um, and if you listen to the 53rd time, there's a good chance you're a fan of Australian hardcore as well. So there's a whole bunch of episodes you can kind of go back and listen to featuring members of different bands throughout Australian hardcore. Well, I guess from the last 20 years at least. It uh, doesn't really dip much further back than that, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, first off, this podcast is part of the Podbelly Network, a network of podcasts that basically, you know, a whole bunch of really cool information on um, if you're actually interested in starting up a podcast and you don't know where to start but you've got an idea um, and that's all you need that's all you need. well you need a couple more things but you supply the idea and then the rest of it they can kind of help you out with uh, from what microphones to use what interfaces to use the programs and all that kind of jazz all the way up into you know how to host it how to and how to do the damn thing basically so, and that sounds cool doesn't it yeah um, so yeah, Podbelly Network. There's also a whole bunch of really other cool, other really cool podcasts. Sorry, I sp- misspoke then. Other really cool podcasts on there, like the Sofa King podcast, which is how ha- I've had Dave Moten, one of the hosts from that, on there. Um, oh yeah, sorry, on the My Age podcast, I've had him as a guest. Kind of bumbling at the moment. Um, Sofa King po- podcast, fantastic. Just a couple of lads, a couple of guys talking about really interesting topics. There, they just hit their 500th episode, which is a fucking mean feat a monstrous feat so good on them um yeah so there's a whole bunch of cool stuff over there uh you can check out also the podcast is brought to you always well not always but now by gringo bandito the world's best hot sauce what are you gonna do you gonna you gonna disagree with me i'll scientifically pl- prove you wrong and people don't really like science these days but you know i'm still swinging for it um uh, comes in a whole bunch of cool flavors there are actually four different flavors to try um, if you're willing to just, if you know, when people say hot sauce, they just think blow your brains out kind of with the heat. This is like a fantastic condiment that has heat to it. So, you know, which is which is a treat, you know, in my mind. Um, if you're interested in it, you know, try the red, the red one, the original one. That's generally the, you know, that's the, fuck, that's the, everybody loves the red. Nobody, like, every. It's the it's the just the all rounder the the all rounder I, I can't think of a sporting analogy because I don't know sports but you know put it on everything if you're into something a bit more different you know bit of heat bit of actual heat uh, the yellow fantastic the super hot fantastic and if you're after something just differently entirely a kind of different a different take on a hot sauce then go for the green you know but they're all great just fucking give it a red hot crack where can you buy it I hear you ask. Uh, if you're in Australia, you can go to blastoffimports.com and you can buy it from there. If you are in North America, you can buy it from gringobandido.com or you can buy it from Amazon. Uh, if you're in Australia, you can actually also buy it on eBay. I've got a seller who sells it on eBay and power to them. Like, they want to do that. That's 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 the gold. So, today's guest. We don't have any music this week. Um like I'd put a Taylor Swift song on here but I fear I'd get sued or something um, but she just released a new album which I'm sure you probably all you know about and it's fucking really good um, and it was 
majority of it was written by one of the guitarists from the National, which is, it's, you know, it's it's the almost, and it's a near perfect Venn diagram. If they had, you know, if they had have had Action Bronson on it somehow, or maybe Jack Black, it would be like a Venn diagram that's like three things that are completely in line with everything I love. Anyhow, I'm digesting. Um, enjoy the episode, Michael Crafter. Fuck, dude's done some things, done some things, and yeah, like I'm not even. It's not. There's no point in me even talking about the things he's done because we get into it, obviously. Um, before I go, don't forget my age podcast on the socials. You'll find it there. If you if you think this episode's worth a dollar, you know, go to paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Uh, you can send me a dollar. Um, tell someone about an episode. If you like what you hear, tell someone about an episode because, you know, that's fun. I don't really check numbers because um, I think it's kind of odd. But whatever. Like, it's it's nice. It's just... It's just it's an ego boost, you know, it's a small shot of um, uh, serotonin that's, you know, whatever. I'm just rambling. I hope you dig it. Have a good one. Stay safe. Kill. Alrighty, My Age Podcast. Uh, with me on the line via FaceTime, which is fantastic, you know, with the COVID whole jargon going on. I've got, like, the famous, the infamous, the TV star, the fucking... The 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 man like, you know I don't know. My, I'll just look. It's Michael Crafter, everybody. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Um, <laughs> in a in a pandemic crisis, yep. but I'm alive and well and haven't got a cough or yeah, anything yet. So just yeah, just at the moment. And WA, as we discussed before, I hit record. WA is holding it down, so. Well, we pretty much said we're no longer part of Australia, and we've <laughs> drawn a line in the yep. drawn a line in the sand you, over here. You're gonna big a dig, dig a big trench from like north to south and fucking annex yourself from the country. It's it's one of those things where it's uh, lucky that we are as remote as we are. That's yeah. helped. If yeah. it wasn't, if it really wasn't for those cruise ships, if they weren't showing up so much and people having to get off, we'd be back probably under fifty. Because yeah. the, the majority of the numbers were on there, and the, all the deaths, I'm pretty sure in WA were, were all off. The, yeah, we're all off the cruise ships. So yeah. it's kind of one of those things where, like, they want them for tourism to come in here, but right when they're coming and everyone's sick on them, you're yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like we're in a, a good place to be, hopefully, opening up a little bit earlier than everyone else. But yeah, as long as you get the borders closed, and you've got no reason not to. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We're that yeah. far away, and not many people want to come here, do they? No, I well, don't even know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's so far. It is a hike. It's a hike. <laughs> Sick. All right, so we kind of had a quick rundown of the podcast and how it all works. Tell us about your parents. Um, you know their kind of situation, how they kind of, I guess, got together and started the the Microcrafter, the start of the Microcrafter story. So here's something that people probably don't know. Um, a lot of my mates do. My dad was actually a touring golf professional. Wow. And so he – I grew up on a golf course. Okay. And so as as a child, I was instilled in me to be this golfer and I could play up until, to a point but I was always kind of drawn – my uncles were really into motorbikes, were into um, – music and stuff like that. So I was always kind of drawn to their side of things. I was always really into motorbikes. I was really into 
the band side of things, picking up guitars and stuff like that. Or just all so, kind of motorbikes or like road bikes or dirt bikes? No, or? just dirt bikes. Yeah, dirt okay. bikes at the time. Yep. And then so I, I, I think well, like my parents, like my dad surfed a lot. So my mum, my dad grew up and was like really good, uh, real good junior golfer. His father was a pro on the, on the Australian tour yeah. at the time. Um, went overseas, was one of the early Australian pros touring overseas to play. Won like the South Australian Open multiple times in a row. So my grandpa was real, is a really well-known golfer in South Australia. Wow. Uh, um, so then I think my mum and my dad kind of met when my mum was about 16. My sister was born when I think she was about, mum was about 16. So they had, they, they basically just packed up and then drove all around Australia before I was born and they um, travelled and stayed in like, uh, Lismore and Byron Bay and uh, the Sunshine Coast and basically just drove up wherever you could surf. And so my dad gave up golf for a long time and then he went back to it and then... Well, he saved think, enough money to be able to kind of live... Yeah, well, I think with that like, surfy kind of hippie kind of way of living when you're younger, yeah. you can live on nothing, Middle you know. Yeah, so can of baked beans. Yeah, so I think they just kind of surfed and whatnot and cruised around, which is... Ideal lifestyle. Yeah, I was. I, I wasn't born, unfortunately. But um, and then, so as a child, the the first kind of music I remember is is just my uncles being in bands. Like I don't remember what their band sounded like, but I know they played guitar. They had one of my uncles had some recording stuff, and so they'd always. Before you go, on, where were you? Where were? You, where did they settle when you were born? Or did they settle uh, somewhere when you were born? Or yeah, yeah, so they bought in Aldenga, which is in South Australia, of like yeah, yep. an hour out of the city. Yep. So then, mum's still in the same house. Yeah, right. Okay. So, um, so then when I was born, my dad started to run a golf course. Uh, oh, I think it's called Marion Park. It's on. Um, oh, it's kind of like if you're heading down towards Glenelg, it's up on the hill in the top of Brighton, kind of thing. Can't remember what the suburb's called. But it's like a public golf course. So my dad ran that for a long time. And then um, – but as far as like childhood music and stuff going forward, I, I don't think I was really into it. I just liked the idea of picking up my uncle's guitars yeah. and stuffing around on them. And that's the same as what I'm like now. I pick up the guitar. I stuff around on it. I'm not good at playing it <laughs> and I never really – I never really had the intentions of getting good at guitar. I was yeah. just like – I just want to hit strings and yep. play Make Pennywise. Just play Pennywise songs. Yeah. I mean, what else? Why would you want to do anything else? Yeah. I, I, sat, I sat down the other day and watched YouTube on how to play blink, certain Blink songs, trying to remember them. What, like how, <laughs> what, what Blink? Oh, like just shit off Cheshire Cat. Yeah, and sick. Dude Ranch. Yeah, and like, sick. Just all the early, yeah. all the early All ones. the mad stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. so, I was like, I, I definitely knew how to play this when I was younger. Yeah. Now I'm like, fuck knows what it is. So yeah. I had to. <laughs> So, were your parents much into music? Like, did they play anything or? Um, well, it's funny because years and years ago, we played the Bridgeway Hotel with the Amity Affliction. Yep. And the Bridgeway is kind of famous for the fat cold chisel and ACDC and they stuff. And my mum's like, oh, I seen Cold Chisel play here 40 years ago Bad. or something. Yep. And awesome. I was like, holy shit. So mum would, mum and dad would go see like ACDC and Cold Chisel and stuff when they were young. Yeah. And then that's kind of like the first stuff I remember hearing around the house was like yeah, Cold see. Chisel and ACDC. And then the next kind of big significant thing as far as bands and songs go, I remember my mum was going to Melbourne um, 
to see Bruce Springsteen. Okay. So I think like Born in the USA is yeah, yeah. like just a song that like stuck with me. Yeah, fair so enough. as like t- times went on in life, like I just always kind of go back to listening to that song because it reminds yeah. me of my child. It reminds me of my childhood because yeah. I just remember it being a big deal that my mum was. She wasn't flying. She caught a train from Adelaide to Melbourne. I don't to go even see want to Bruce think Spring. how long that would take. Yeah, like, driving's like, bad enough. Yeah, yeah, like I'm like fucking. When I, I just remember, I'm like going on a train. Like surely you can fly, can't you? <laughs> like I don't know. I, maybe, maybe like, but back then I think flying. It's not like it is now. I think it was really expensive. To oh fly fucking anyway. oath it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of as far as music goes. That was kind of like I don't even know how old it would have been. I was young. Yeah. So, but it just sticks within my mind.
So your sister is how many years older than you? My sister's eight years older than me. Okay. Was she so kind of – yeah, go on. By the time, like, I was kind of growing up and uh, I, I, I remember her living with us, but then she moved out when she was not pretty young, but when I was, like, like eight, you know, she yeah. was, like, 16 and out with her friends and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I didn't really see much. So that age gap is a – it's a big difference. Yeah, so like, it is a huge as much difference, as, isn't it? As much as she was m- my sister, it's kind of hard to be into the similar shit when you're that far apart in age. Yeah. Do you remember what she was listening to kind of – like was she very yeah. into music or like – Yeah, she was really into like all the bands I was. Okay. Like not like hardcore and stuff like that but like down south there was like Where's the Pope and the Bearded Clams and – all these southern like punk hardcore kind of bands, yeah. like punk, punk, surf punk bands. Yeah. And she knew all about all of them before I did. Yeah, right. So there was lots and lots of shows, gigs and stuff like in football clubs and ovals and stuff like that. She was going into the like to them before I was. Yeah. And then when I kind of got to like 12 and 13, then I was starting to go to all that and that's how – by the time I kind of got into it, I think she was kind of over it by that stage and yeah. was into whatever else. But when she was younger, that's what was around. It was you go to local bands and see some punk band play probably badly. It's <laughs> yeah. a fucking bunch of surfers with long hair. Just miners drinking beers and that kind of thing. Yeah, fully just sneaking into like local football clubs to try and watch some punk band. Fuck yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, what, like, was there much music going on in the house still, or like, was you know, did you did you inherit a discman, or oh, I wouldn't have been discman like a Walkman, or I, I just remember heaps and heaps of records, but the record player never working. Right, like I just <laughs> okay, remember yeah. it's like all existed, but like my my old man worked from like would be up at six and home at seven. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like he was gone most of the day, and he'd get home and. Typical like Aussie bloke would bloody probably eat meat and three meats and then yeah. have a joint and then go to bed, you know. And like, then rinse, repeat, do it again. Yeah, yeah. I just remember my old man like used to not mind a bit of a, a few beers and smoke a bit of weed and stuff like that. So yeah, right. he used to just casually just come home and have a few beers, have a, have a smoke and then pass out. Did you know Did you know it was weed or you just like – Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, you were it's aware the of con- it. It's yeah. the country. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, it. You, you don't, you don't think you've like you, you don't think, you don't believe your parents that they're growing tomatoes out the back. No, right? that's right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But back back then, it's like everyone I knew was growing like weed in their backyard. Yeah, <laughs> like everyone. That's... My grandma was growing weed in her backyard. You know, <laughs> that's, she, like, that's yeah, like it just it's the, the south. You know, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't even strange. I just remember like. Just going to parties like with my family and like everyone. This was the country, you know. So everyone caught up. There's a lot more, so, a lot more social then. You know, you, nowadays people are so caught up in the social media side of things and going and because they're what they're like, oh, they'll go out to bars and stuff like that. Back then, there's no bars. Yeah, like in the in the country, you go around to people's houses and have a piss up, you know, yeah, and a barbecue. Yeah. So was it like was it actual country or was it like country by the beach or yeah it's country by the beach okay so there's no at the at the time as a child there was no cops there's no maccas there's <laughs> yeah. no there was one service station there wasn't a supermarket like it wasn't until i kind of got to high school i think the supermarket was even made so were you like um 
what was considered the big smoke? Like, was going to Adelaide the big smoke? Oh, or? yeah, massive. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I, we had a lot of family there and stuff, but I okay. still think going there was massive. Like, even when we were, like, starting um, – when I started to be into music stuff, I was, like, mind-blown when I was going to see shows near the city. Yeah, right. It was always an effort. Like, I had to get a bus and then – Oh, that's what I was going to ask, yeah. Like, like how long's the bus trip? So you had to get a bus that was probably half an hour and then a train that was only 45 minutes. Fuck. Yeah, and right. the bus didn't even come to my house. So, so I had you to had get to, to get the, to that too. I, yeah, I had to get to the bus. My mum would have to drop me in the bus. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, I was fucking I was probably 13 getting getting on the bus. Yeah, the that's fucking great. Going all the way to Adelaide. So do you do you remember many, like when you were younger, many of those kind of early Adelaide punk bands you listened to? Was there something that kind of sticks out there or? Um, I think Where's the Pope? Simply because they were so big, they yeah. were fucking massive, man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like if they did it, like if they did like the South Adelaide Football Club oval, like a thousand, two thousand people would show up. Like, Fuck. yeah, like what yeah. year are we talking? Like oh, early ninety, like early nineties. Or 90, 94, 95. Yeah, right, okay. Oh, maybe, maybe not, yeah. I was probably 14, 15. Yeah. So then, like, you, you, like you'd have to, even, like, Nigel and all that would tell you how big it was. They they, they, they had a record, because they, they, they would go down there and play. Because who, who released the, who was, was it Resist or Trial and Error who did the early Where's the Pope stuff? Uh, Resist did it later. They right, had, okay. like, the first one I'm pretty sure was called the Straight Edge Holocaust, which was like a straight edge people going into a like meat grinder or something like that. I can't remember. But it was like, I'm talking maybe that was like late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And then there was uh, EP, which I remember having, which, yeah. But then the, the one that came out on Resist, I don't even think I've re- really listened to it. Okay. Because I was already after all of that. The yeah, earlier, right. the er- real earlier punkies. Like real, like southerny, like southern suburb surf punk kind of stuff, which it was. <laughs> yeah, it was just like they all looked like surfers, you know. Like they all, everyone had long hair in the bands, and Fucking everyone, crazy. everyone was wearing boardies way before Parkway made it cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I talked to um, it was interesting. As I said, I talked to Oscar last night, um, and I mentioned to him about the first time I remember seeing those guys at it was at the Green Square. I can't remember if it was a hardcore show like a hardcore you know hardcore 2000 and whatever show or if it was just a show but i was like i was blown away that these kids were dancing hard in board shorts <laughs> with the byron bay postcode written on it and i <laughs> and i said to him like i said like i just imagined you guys were driving whoever the fuck was driving down. someone's driving down and you're all like yeah let's let's represent byron and write our fucking postcode on the boardies he goes no 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 that's what we did yeah. Like that's what we did in Byron. Like we, like it had nothing to do with coming to the show. That's just yeah. what Byron Bay did. We all brought our postcode on our bodies and got the yeah, yeah. got it tattooed and yeah. I, I remember they would. I'd go to they'd go to like go to shows there and they'd get markers out and write on each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> so people would have stuff written across their backs for no reason, <laughs> and shit like that. Like I just remember the silliest things. That's and, it. So have you got have you got a Where's the Pope song that kind of sticks out? Did you listen to much of it, or it was just like it was just around? Yeah, I know I, I, I did at the time. Okay. Um, 
I just, I'm just trying to remember the song names. The, the the song that's Sunday Afternoon Barbecues, I think it's called that. Okay. <laughs> it's got this thing, it goes, Sunday Afternoons were just made for barbecues. Fair enough. It was enough. like the, the big sing-along. And that yeah. song was sick. <laughs> your parents like with um the alternative like i mean they probably went through it not to cast aspersions on your sister but like with the eight year gap by the time you were 13 14 15 16 she was like early 20s and kind of they'd already been through it so they kind of know but like what were they like with you listening to more aggressive music like did they were they kind of a bit uh, sorry were they a bit like free-spirited and just like yeah as long as you're not hurting anyone, it doesn't matter. Or were they like, this is satanic fucking nah, stab your kids kind of thing? I don't think they were ever like that. I think it was more so when when I started to do bands, it definitely got a bit like that. But, yeah. Um, I think, but at the time, my mum would drive, drive, take us to stuff and was like, we'd pick us up, like me and all my mates, and we'd go and take our skateboards and skate like the unis and yeah. stuff like that, like before, and like go skate the city and – then we'd just hide our skateboard somewhere and then go watch, like, a huge show, you know? Like, yeah. it, that that time of stuff, like, whether it be, like, Frenzel or someone that was, like, a headliner or 
Where's the Pope or the Test Eagles or um, I'm trying to think what other big South Australian bands. Mark O'Kane. Yeah, there okay. was like really big bands. Like the Test Eagles were massive. Where's the Pope were massive. Mark O'Kane were massive. Like bands would come and support them. Like I'm sure friends will came and supported Where's the Pope. I know NYC did or yeah, One right. Inch Punch. Yeah. So then there was like times where there would be like even like the outdoors at the Adelaide Uni, there'd be like 4,000 people. Yeah, right. Like I remember the back of the Where's the Pope cover was like the whole place full and that was the back of the cover and, and there would have been a headliner. Because the band, they there was a time where those bands were ginormous yeah. in in that scene, and everyone went to shows because there was no there was no raves and there was no DJs and there was there was everyone was into that type of music. Yeah, yeah. Like were band, were many like you said, you know, NYC One Inch Punch and Friends were kind of making it that way, but like would have been few and far between, or was like, or did people was it like you know Perth like all of a sudden everyone started going to Perth in the early 2000s because, like, it doesn't matter who you are. If you turn up, motherfuckers will come out of the yeah. woodwork. Like, was it like that kind of thing? Like, any band could come across and as long as you were loud, guitars, whatever, people would front? Or I, I think I think it was a bit like that. Like, I remember I seen, like, Caustic Soda. Yep. Um, the, the, first, the first, like, real show I went to, this is the first time I – big thing I went to. I'd seen like local bands and stuff. Yep. But it was Blink, um, One Inch Punch, Body Jar, Pennywise. Yep, the Good Times tour. Yeah, that tour. So yeah. that I was 14. Yeah. So that was the big that was the big thing I went to. And I was at the time went to Febby in Adelaide and I was like, this is ginormous. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this place is biggest thing ever. And then as an adult I played it. It was like packed, you yeah. know, like I'm like but I didn't. That think would have been a that. weird trip. Like, oh yeah, I was like, oh, when we we I think we played it a few times, and I was like, I've seen fucking Blink One Eight Two and Pennywise here. Yeah. This is mind blowing. Yeah, but that was kind of like the first like thing where I really knew that I was listening to punk. Like I was okay. all the Southie bands and all the like Adelaide bands. All were so different. Like the market came was different to the Test Eagles. Yeah, very Test much Eagles so. were different to Where's the Pope? The Where's Where's the Pope were different to the Bearded Clams. Um, or like whatever else was coming over from over east. They're all so different, but they're always always on the same shows, yeah, and same festivals and stuff like that. So there was like things called like pacemaker, and oh, I'm just trying to think of all the tour names. There was all these like things that would come to like Adelaide Uni, and even like the point where like. Just trying to think of the years. Like No Effects came and played outside at one of those festivals yeah, and that band Snuff and then – Oh, that would have um, been like the 97 or 98. They played together? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 97 so or 98, like, yeah. Yeah, and then there was a one year where there was like Good Riddance and Sick of It All played and yep. it was the similar kind of festival. Yep. And then as time went on, more and more hardcore bands kind of started to be on stuff and I think a turning point for me from going from into being like – Obviously, Pennywise and that—that's a massive thing. So yeah. you could probably pay a Pennywise song, yeah, because of that and that era was fucking. I don't even know what was out the Pennywise, Pennywise, Pennywise CD, maybe Unknown Road. So I, I think I think like the first time, like the the Pennywise VHS was probably the first time I 
that home movie. movies one. Yeah, the home movie. It yeah, was, yeah. yeah, whatever. And then it has all the live footage in it. So that that was the first. I think the first song it's Pennywise, Pennywise, the title track. I think that was kind of probably the first inkling I had of what a proper punk band was. And then as time goes on, you you follow up. Blink obviously was on that tour, so you work out who Blink are, and you get Body Jar. Like I got into Body Jar, and then then from there it kind of went in the heavy kind of direction, you know. Like yeah, yep. I started to find out about local heavier bands. When you say heavy, do you mean metal? Or not like metal, like metallic hardcore. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, like Mind Snare to me was a fucking metal band when I heard them because it was the heaviest shit I'd ever heard. And like, they just fucking, like, it was just like, what the, f- it was like a fucking wall of fucking music, you know? And they, they, so Mind Snare came and played the Aldinga Football Club. Why? Because people turned up or? Because where's the Pope probably brought him there. Yeah, right, okay. (laughs) Someone brought him there. Like them or the Test Eagles or one of those like bands brought him over. So like at the same time, like the Test Eagles bass player was a dude that was within the hardcore scene, Dean. Yeah, right. Vegan and straight edge and was like best friends with fucking, um, uh, fucking Pete from the Hot Lies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... yeah, Pete Wood. Yep. So um, him and Pete were like fucking side by side everywhere. They did a band at one point called Hominy Ray, which was like kind of like Shy Lewis, but it it literally did like two shows. Yeah. It. it was like one of those bands that was sick and everyone was like, it was so hyped and then it just went flash in the pan, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> done never, and done. To, yeah. never to be seen again. So I don't know what happened there. But he, I know he was... I'd always see him at like shows and stuff and yeah. that was kind of another thing where I was like, oh, well, they're a heavy, heavy-ish band and then they would bring other heavy-ish bands and stuff like that. So it just kind of transcended from being into punk to being into hardcore. Yeah. Are we going to pick a song off um, About Time? Uh, what's the first song of About Time? Peaceful Day. Peaceful Day.
Yeah, fucking yeah. what a banger. Yeah. A banger. That's the one me and Jed sing at each other with and just write each other off. <laughs> that's, that's, awesome. our, that's our go-to in the car if we're <laughs> with each other. That's just it. fucking pay each other out about being old. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Without, like, for me, not that it's about me, but, like, you know, it's interesting you mentioned cinnamon beer nuts and cinnamon beer goggles. That was, for me, a perfect bridging of, like, you know, use cinnamon beer nuts as an example. Um you had MXPX and uh, you didn't have Blink, but like, yeah, yeah, MXPX and maybe the Ataris and all these like pop punk or like Green Day-esque punk bands like the Queers or whatever. Then you had Strife and yep. you had AFI and you had Ignite. And like, yeah. it was like, they're all kind of the same thing. But then like, when you dig a bit deep, you're like, oh... Yeah, MXPX was cool, but like, look at Strife. Like, that's a yeah, fun doing fucking. Guitar spin. Yeah, that was. Yeah. To, that's still probably one of my favorite film clips ever. Ever. It's yeah. the recording still heavy. Yeah. Like, it's still fucking heavy. Like, I remember. So, like, I'd list at the time, I'd gone from into like all those Southie fucking punk bands to then working out what Mind Snare was yeah. and then working out what Force Fed 9 was. Yeah, because right. Mind Snare were meant to play one of these like mid-coast meltdowns and they couldn't be there so Force Fed 9 played. Okay. So then these dudes get up in fucking like baseball caps and fucking double XL clothes. Yeah. Looking like gangsters. <laughs> from the yeah, yeah, like gangsters. And I was like, what is this? And then the singer's like fucking near rapping over metal. Yeah. And I'm like, this is sick. So then whenever they'd play, I'd just try and go. Yeah. And then after that was like, I was like, okay, so what else is there? Like yeah. what other heavy stuff? But I'm fucking like 16 or 17, it's probably 16 living in the, South of Adelaide, yeah. There's not many options, nah. So like, I, I didn't have any mates that were like. I had a few mates that were kind of into stuff, but like, I remember I'd go to like, go in the street cleaner catalogs and stuff, yeah. And that was the way to find stuff. I'd yeah. Read and go, okay, for fans of, yep. And then hope I'd heard of what for. Yeah. I'd just buy shit because I'm for fans of something. Because street cleaner was Adelaide based, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 it was. It did real well in its heyday. Yeah, you know? it was fucking like, you know. I think of that, like I think of the street cleaner catalogs, and I think to myself, "There's no shops, like there's no online. Oh, maybe there is, but like online stores aren't as good as that was. And that was twenty years ago, and it was literally a catalog, a fucking paper stayed, magazine. If he stayed like that on the fucking trajectory of keeping it online, yeah. He would have still stuck it out because he tried to do a shop in a busy area, high rent and right. stuff like that. That hurts. You sink, you sink your own ship because yeah. you start spending too much money. But like I remember just opening those. What was the magazine? It wasn't Blunt. It was called something HM? else. HM. Oh no, it wasn't that one. It was like a. It was like a Blunt though. Oh, this is gonna fucking kill me. Oh, man, man, I I had this same conversation with someone. I couldn't work it out, but I remember it fall out the middle of it. You'd open yeah, it, and yeah, yeah. It was in the middle, <laughs> and then you yeah, yeah. you'd start looking at that first, yeah, because yeah. you'd be like, okay, what am I going to buy? <laughs> How am I going to do this? That's right. Yeah. So then that was then from there. I remember, I remember the first when I watched that strife clip, and I was just like. What is this? Yeah, yeah. It was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Yep. I think because it was so heavy for the time it was like 
an amazing recording. And when you'd only been listening to like like Pennywise had good recordings, No Effects had good recordings. Yeah, Blink by that stage had good recordings. They came every, around, yeah. yeah. Everything else was shit. Yeah. Like everything else was recorded in a toilet. Yeah. And when that when I heard that Strife song, I was just like, even compared to like I was, I definitely was into. AFI and stuff by that stage, but not like to what that that just had a massive impact. Yeah, like that, if like, someone released "Blistered" was the song that they did the film clip for. Yeah, if someone released that tomorrow, you'd be like, "Yeah, this is this sounds fresh." Yeah, like fully. Yeah, fully because all bands nowadays are doing trying to sound like the nineties anyway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, and that breakdown to me is still one of the greatest breakdowns. Yeah, like it's, that's yeah. And then I was kind of like. From there, I think I worked out what Earth Crisis was. Okay. And I worked out what, like, Snapcase was and then Madball and and it kind of everything around. the Just the bigger bands of thing, only because you'd see Earth Crisis and Snapcase and, and the Strife, like a California takeover thing. Yep. And then yep. you'd see... Photos of those bands and dudes would be wearing Madball shirts or something yeah. like that because they were all kind of that same like age gap, like that yeah. that age bracket. They're all around the same same kind of years. Yeah. Um. But when I feel like the Agnostic Fronts and all those kinds of bands are all just a bit old for me. Like, yeah, I never got into it because it was kind of like it was. I think I just, I just didn't like it. Yeah. I don't know why because it's. I listen to it now and I'm like, oh, this is like. I, yeah, I probably should have given it a bit more of a chance. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, it's a time and a place. Well, if you're not yeah. impacted, if you're not impacted then and there, you'll never be impacted because. And the production of the earlier stuff is definitely dated. Yeah, like it. Yeah. It, it sounds like something from the eighties. Yeah, like, and if you if you, if you weren't there to hear it, then it's going to be hard to latch on to. Like, yeah, and um, yeah, but so like a lot of stuff that was coming out then, I feel like the Strice and Earth Crisis and the Victory, the Victory kind of influence over everything yeah. made everything a bit more polished. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone wanted to then go, okay, we're going to be a fucking I, – I don't know if they, in, in their heads they were like, we're going to be big bands now, but they definitely had b- bigger budgets. Yeah, and stepped up the – the oh. sonicness of it all, yeah. Because, because like, Destroy the Machines was like, de- like it wasn't amazing, but it was like better than yeah. the 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 early like Firestorm and the All Out War EP, and then the Strife said it was good. The fucking Snapcase CDs were good. Madball always had real good production. Like, yeah. I think Madball because it went to Roadrunner always had a bit more money than Budget everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but most stuff started to really sound like heavy, really heavy bands, real good producers, and I don't know. People were like, "Oh yeah!" At the time, they're like, "Yeah, they're selling out." Like, yeah, what? that's right. Because they don't want to sell it. They recorded with a toilet brush. Yeah, like. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a, a bunch of the bands you mentioned, uh, Edge, um, was. Did you understand the straight edge thing? Like, did it click with you? Like, where was your kind of introduction to that? When, personally when I and seen musically? when I seen Matt from FF9 and Dean. That was in the testing. Was that always be wearing straight edge merch? Yeah, right. And De- Dean had his own like crew of all straight edge people. Like there was Pete and like a few girls that were around him that were all straight edge. They're into hardcore and stuff at the time. So and I knew they were all straight edge. And I knew 
what what it meant and stuff like that because um, I, there there was like AFI like didn't talk about it, but everyone knew Davy Havoc was pretty open about being straight edge in interviews and stuff. Yeah. And I read it read it in interviews and stuff with him, and it, I just kind of was like ha, was kind of done with drinking myself. Yeah, I'd done it when I was young. I did it heavily. I got into drugs. All my mates who were going to punk shows with me were like smoking. Smoke, well, we were all smoking weed, but then we are all doing speed and then we are all doing fucking whatever, like prescription shit or whatever. Yeah, right. Then I had friends that were like started to use needles and shit. Then it was heroin and stuff like that. So people that were around me that I kind of started to drift away from got a real dark kind of place. And at the time, I know a lot of punk bands and stuff were really heavily into it. Like a lot of the bigger punk bands, like for instance, when I seen Strung Out, I can't remember what year it was, one of the dudes, like the bass player, asked one of my friends, where can he buy any heroin? Like he asked a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. And I was like, fucking Jesus. And then... Someone I know was like when it went partying with them and stuff and was like, yeah, a few of them were just like going away into the rooms obviously to shoot up and stuff. And like I think they came out like around that time and no effects and stuff. They were all pretty honest about about it, maybe pretty even Lagwagon. Yeah, 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 they were all like like the uh, the – the no effects drummer, like in d- interviews and stuff, is like, oh, yeah, I was a heroin addict, yeah, and stuff like that. So they're they're honest about it, yeah. Um, and I think in the end, that bass player ended up dying. Of, yeah, Jim Cherry. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously there was all their demons with all that stuff. And when you're hearing like bands that you're looking up to, and you're like, it, it was a disappointment, and it wasn't where I wanted to go. You know, like yeah. I didn't want to be a southern person like a lot of the older fucking people that were just like junkies and shit like that, you know, and there was a lot of people like that down south. So then when a lot of the younger like surf dudes and dudes who were killing it surfing, killing it skating started to be like really fucked up by it, I was like, man, maybe I need to really rethink who I'm hanging out with here. And a lot of my friends that were friends at that point, I didn't ever see again. That's like that's pretty amazing because, fuck, like walking the concept of walking away from friends because you're not quite you're not quite sure what they're doing as opposed to just getting swept up in it. Like it would be so easy, especially living in a country town. Not, I mean, in theory, it's not that far from Adelaide. But when you're under eighteen, or even when you are eighteen years old, it's still a fucking, you know, it's still a hike to get to Adelaide and that kind of thing. You could easily have got swept up in. That culture, a, a lot of, a lot of, and this is this was um, the the kind of like craziest scale of it. There was a kid that was at my school, and he like didn't have as like, obviously good a home as me. Yeah. We we're in a lot of class classes together from like probably year two to we're probably in year ten when he dropped out of school, and we weren't mates or anything, but we knew each other, like we were around each other for yeah fucking ten years or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, and in. In time, like you watch the decline of a human and you watch him get more and more addicted to different things. So by the time we're in like year nine, year 10, you could tell there was a lot more going on. And then as an adult, I they found him in the fucking wheelie bin out in the front of his house and him and his housemate had had an argument over the Xanax because they'd obviously been smoking meth or t- shooting meth or whatever. 
And the, the the ultimate thing with a, a lot of the fucking people that are like ice addicts is to come down, they'll, they'll chew the zannies and then they'll get themselves to sleep and then they'll try and be somewhat normal. Well, they've obviously had a fight over the zannies and he's just fucking killed, killed him, thrown him in the fucking bin for bin day. Jesus. And this was a dude I went to school with and I was like, that kind of thing, like we grew up in the same town but we just didn't have the same opportunities and that's what's sad is maybe if he, he did have – better parents that weren't fucking heroin addicts or whatever, he might have had a bit better of a chance. That's fighting but, chance, yeah. But then at the same time, I've got friends, well, not friends now, but friends from then who had real good parents, real good home life, real good, like, structure around them and fucking next minute are trying to sell their family shit to buy fucking drugs. Like, yeah, end up in the same spot. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's kind of a bit fucking, like, bit of a catch-22, like you, I kind of think it's just comes down to the person and what you want because yeah. you can easily get caught up in it and you can easily get swept away. But if you have a goal on what you want to be into, I just wanted to go to shows and go skating and go surfing and hang with my mates. Fucking hell. That's, yeah, that's some how old was How old was it, like, were you, was that guy, obviously that guy wasn't in high school, like high school anymore. It was years after. Yeah, yeah. It was like probably only, probably 10 years ago. Okay. But like, so he's probably in his fucking late 20s, early 30s maybe at the time. But still, like it's, yeah. it's a country town, you know. Like my mum called me and was like, holy, holy shit, you know. Like this has just happened. And like, Jesus. yeah, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just you, you kind of, a lot of people come in those, come out of those towns, like even, like people, um, like you go down there now and there's people that just haven't left, you know. Yeah. Like there's the successful ones that haven't left and then there's the ones that have just plotted along forever. Yeah. Fuck. And it's, it's, just, it's just country kind of the country life. So what like did you kind of heard about Edge and were like, yeah, I'm all in on this? Like is that kind of AFI, <sighs> Strife, Earth Crisis, yeah. I'm all in? I think I think also it was like finding my mates around that time. Like I remember when Strife came and I'd I'd said I was straight edge for like probably like a couple of months. So yeah. this was like nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. So like by that stage, like I'd already I'd I'd been seeing so many fucking bands. Like I was going to hardcore shows and I, I went I remember I went and seen like FF9's last show, Out of Order, which was Pete's band. I think Mind Snare played it. Um, heaps of bands played this like hall in Brighton. And I remember there being like fucking, it was like the kind of first time I kind of really feel like it was a hardcore show. And then when I seen Strife would have been maybe a few months after. Yeah. And I remember seeing all like Weber and Ben Coy and I'm pretty sure Embodiment opened. Yeah. And like I just remember seeing like proper hard, like dudes from the hardcore scene. And I was like, okay, like this is actual like proper hardcore dudes, not just like me not seeing just, it. Yeah. You know, like, Southern just, surfer hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not just like some long-haired surf dude that's push moshing. So did you know all those guys like Weber and I, ne- and I never met any. I never met anyone. And then I think Mind Snare and someone else played the Unibar one night. Of probably a couple months after, yeah, and I had a Earth Crisis Straighted shirt on, and fucking Weber just walks on up trying to re- recruit <laughs> recruit people for his Straight Edge gang at to the time. Six one eight HC, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just trying to fucking lure me into the six one eight gang. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, no, nah, he came over and was like, oh, hey, man, are you straight edge, blah, blah, blah. And we just started talking. And then Coit came over and he started talking and then they were telling me about their band and it was like they were both in Day of Contempt at the time and they were like, oh, we're playing this show and I think them and Out of Order played and it was like Out of Order's last show, I'm pretty sure. So the it was at like the producer's hotel and I remember I went along to that and then after that I was just kind of mates with everyone. Yeah. But I think like at the time it also like knew like Pete, like Pete Wood and Luke, um, Lukey that's mate, like Pete's best mate and like they were all going to different shows. Like I'd, they'd go to like a lot of the South, Southie punk shows and stuff. So I knew them from all down going to that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, hey, how are you going kind of thing. So then I started going to like the actual hardcore shows like Adelaide Community Centre started and stuff like that and then it kind of went from there. Yeah, So right. then I actually kind of felt, felt like I'd actually found some people that were into similar shit than me. Yeah. But like, but like growing up, like I was me, Jonah, JJ, we all just started going to shit together. So then like from there, us going to other stuff that was like punk bands and stuff like that, we started going to hardcore shows. So yeah. when I started going to all that, I started to take them all with me. Were you with like, were they down where you were or were they? Yeah, in yeah. yeah, right. We were in the same high school. Me and Jonah and JJ are in the same class. Yeah, right. Yeah, so okay. that's, yeah, now, yeah, we go go forward to go back. Yeah, but, fuck. But okay. yeah, like we, me and JJ were in school together from year eight. Yeah, right. And like he, he was just this like chubby drummer kid that was into Nirvana and Silverchair. <laughs> and like Our all the times kids, change. Yeah, and he was just like um, the he. I kind of feel like he was. He thought he was real cool, but I'm not really sure if he was. I think maybe I thought he was cool. Yeah, and we just we just go to his mum's house, uh, mum and dad's house. Like, obviously, he lived there, but I'd just go there and we were like 13, smoking bongs in a caravan and listening to fucking <laughs> No Effects or yeah, whatever. That's, that's fucking gold. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, when did you like? Was your first musical iteration "I Kill the Prom Queen"? Nah. So we had. So so the first one, I played bass in a band called Five Bar slash Five Bricks Are Heavy, and that was like we basically did. I think we did No Effects songs. We Good. did Pride Pride Bowl songs. Fuck Do you yes. remember Pride Bowl? Yeah, Swedish as fuck. Yeah, yeah, it was sick. Yeah. I seen them once. Um, yeah, they so toured. We, they toured. Um, I saw them at the Horton Pavilion. I don't know what the, who the fuck they were. They must have just come out by themselves. But they played the Horton Pavilion at this show. <clears throat> pardon me, this show called Irresponsathon. And it was like Frenzel and Grinspoon, yeah. all these fucking big yeah. bands. But yeah, like Pride that Bowl. Did Ad- that did Adelaide, but it was like did it really? Th- yeah, it was called Pacemaker. Yeah, and the side of the stage was the side stage was. Downtime. Hang on, Kiki. Give me your phone back. I just got a kid stealing the phone. That's okay. Um, Pride, um, so Pride Bowl friends or Grinners and that played one stage. Yeah. And the Test Eagles, FF9 and a few other bands played another stage. Then Mind Snare, MYC, Toe to Toe, Downtime and someone else played another stage and a huge fight broke out where, <laughs> where Scott Mack bashed the security guards. Yes. So Toey, 
Toey's are playing and all the security guards have retreated out of there because Scott Max bashed them all. Like, that started, that started a fight with the crowd and I'm pretty sure, like, Scott and, like, Bruz and stuff were just punching all of them. They just went, nah, this isn't happening. And then they, yeah. they went again and just started playing songs and everyone's like, security's gone. Fucking wild. <laughs> what? You? Oh, yeah, I'm doing something, mate. Can't. After. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, that was, I'm trying to think, that was probably 97. Yeah, okay. Five, so then, five uh, bricks are heavy. Five what, bricks are heavy. What's was that about? F- oh, who knows? But yeah, we right. used to, we used to just play parties and hundreds of people would show up to parties. Yep. And then we're in class one day, me and Jonah, and Jonah's like, do you want to sing in a band? I was like, sure, what are we going to sound like? He goes, I don't know, we'll just play Earth Crisis and Might Snare songs. They, and, and that's I, I fair was enough. Like, I think all we knew was stuff off the Good Life trial and error comp. Yeah, yeah. I think we knew like how to play the, the Not For You song on it and yeah. then um, maybe a couple Mind Snare songs and then like Firestorm and like a few Earth Crisis songs and then we played a party. I think we had like two songs that were terrible. So then we played a party and then then we called that band Another's Life. Okay. I think it was off a Snapcase album. I think we stole that name, which mo- most bands, that's how they got a name. That's, yeah, that's uh, what you do. And then then after that, we called it The Fall of Troy. Ah, oh, that's was, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we found, a, we basically worked out what Poison the Well was and we're like, oh, fuck, we better sound like this This band. is the new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this is what we're into and we're just obsessed with Poison the Well. Yep. And then after that, like, everyone kind of went their own ways to the point where we're like, we didn't really want to – it's not that we didn't want to do a band. We just didn't think we were going to be good or do anything. And then Jonah and JJ started a band called um, Child Left Burning. Okay. So then that was like uh, Jonah, JJ, I think a mate from that first band, Kane, was in it. Ben Engel, who was in a band called United Force, Lee, Stacey, and this guy, LT, and they were both from United Force. Yeah, right. So they were all like surfers from down Victor Harbour. Yeah. And then that was like what Prom Queen became. So then when LT left, I joined. So, so were you like, in the band Were you in the band when there were two singers? Yeah. Right. So and it, was, it was me and Lee. Yeah, right. And then he left. And oh. then he, he was... So he has a company called Stacy. It's like a big surf company, like b- b- big board shaper. Um, in, t-shirt. in on the Gold Coast. Yeah, on the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so Lee's brand was like essentially going to kick off, and we were like, man, you should be worrying about surfboard shaping, being yeah. a surfer, like. That's proper. Like this is a fucking yeah, dis- this yeah. is a disaster. This, this is a disaster. This could a fold in a fortnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, man, worry about that. And then like Lee, kind of like really fucking found it and like has it it kills it. Yeah. So I feel like I fe- at the time I felt shit out for having to kick him out. Yeah. Because we just felt we're all on different pages. But then now I'm like. You're fucking lucky I kicked you out. It's the best you thing you ever the, did. Yeah. yeah, like the band the band fucking would only do so much, you know. Yeah. And like it could have it could it it did it did a lot more than we expected, that's for sure. Yeah. So did you guys like at the early days of Prom Queen, were you still based in our dinger or did you all kind of um, collectively say let's fucking I, go to I def- Adelaide? 
No, JJ and Jonah moved to the city pretty early on and then yeah. I I was still in Aldenga. Yeah. I was still in Aldenga till um hang on, I just gotta That's all right. Wait up. Should be on now, Kennedy. <sighs> Movie change. Um so <laughs> I was living in Aldenga probably until probably two thousand and five, I reckon. And then I started really? to like, yeah. Then I moved to Melbourne and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I liked I liked the South too much. I wasn't like everyone else. I hated the city. So when you would when you were playing and putting on shows and stuff in Adelaide, you weren't living there. No, never. Wow. No, I was living with Coy and Webbs at like Parkside, and like I think at the time it was like the first was Webbs, Ben, Michaela. And a few other people were living there. And then after that, I think it was Jonah lived there and I think JJ lived there. And so, like, in the first thing, I'd be, I'd, I'd stay there for weeks. Yeah. And then just – I remember we'd watch Sopranos and go to fucking Coles <laughs> yeah. at, like, 12 o'clock at night and buy fucking ice cream. And that's pretty much all we did and, like, live off pasta. We're just so <laughs> vegan. So vegan, we just live off pasta and red sauce. Yep. <laughs> and it was fucking shit out, so fucked. But like then, then now, and then for the, the, yeah, and then I think after that I just moved to Melbourne. So, got, but we like Park, uh, sorry, Parkway, um, Prom Queen, like you guys kind of, you guys alongside DRC started like, and how would I put it? You know, you guys started a scene that, like, in my opinion, kind of took the rest of the country by surprise. Like, you know, from the mentality of, like, why would you go to Adelaide to all of a sudden, like, Adelaide's where we got to go. Like, that's yeah. what's happening. Again, like, that and the kind of thing that Perth did a few years later. Yeah. Like, you guys, you know, it was like, it was always Sydney versus Melbourne, like, toe-to-toe, not versus, but, like, there was toe-to-toe and there was mind snare. And yeah. there was, you know, fucking NYC and there was not for you. And there was friends and there was body jar. And all of a sudden, here's Adelaide. Like, yeah. new sound, heavier than everyone else. Brutal. Like, compared to what was going on, mm. again, Prom Queen and DOC were just fucking this new sound that Do just you know, took off everywhere. I think what it was is that everyone was so Melbourne and, and Sydney orientated that they thought the next biggest things were going to come out of Sydney and Melbourne. That was the yeah. only option. Yeah. And, and they, there was everyone was so, and we were like over there kind of doing our own thing. And, and bands that no one cared about were kind of coming over and doing pretty well in Adelaide. Like Voice of Descent were coming from Geelong all the time. Yeah. Playing Adelaide and people cared and them and DOC and then like, Adelaide, then, I think what happened was was when the Adelaide band started going hardcore in Sydney. Yeah, that's when people were like, oh fuck, yeah. like this. This is like pro, like they, and it wasn't like the fact that we it was we weren't just like older hardcore dudes dressing like hardcore dudes. We were like we cared about our hair yeah. and our clothes yeah. and our <laughs> shoes, and we wear fucking studded belts like it was ridiculous like now I look at it and I'm like what was I thinking but at the time we were like just kind of doing something no one else was because we weren't thugs yeah DOC were like definitely still wearing basketball jerseys and shit like that yeah but we we were fucking we were kids from the country so we we just kind of were kind of like if we find our own lane 
then we'll, we're either going to fucking fizzle out or we'll do okay. And then we, I, I feel like we went to, it got to a point where like us and DOC cared, we cared, all cared about gear. We'd have the best amps, the best guitars, fucking pedals. Like we'd make so much effort. Like we started using triggered drums. Like, yeah, right. Trying to be proper metal bands. And, and like how proper metal bands cared about gear a lot. And so then when we started to care a lot more, the sound started better. And then we kind of were like, kind of like Australia was still kind of stuck in that. 90s must sound raw, must sound fucking this. And we were like, who's the best producers? Like we were like, you know, three looking into going to Europe to record. Like, I, I, like did you come up with DOC for that first, the first one that came to Sydney and did hardcore? I'm going to say it was 2000. Were you up for that? No, nah, I never went. I okay. only was going to Melbourne and stuff at that time. I'd never, the first time I went to Sydney, Prom Queen did hardcore. Yeah, so that right. O2. O2. Because I remember being at the, you know, it's DOC, it's not prom queen, so it's not exactly totally relevant. But, like, I remember seeing DOC for the first time thinking, like, this is the new sound and being scared as fuck. Like, looking at these guys going, like, you look at Mindsnare and go, I get it. They're tattooed guys, toe to toe. They're tattooed guys, but they're like, they're like the tattoo shop across the road from the train station or whatever. Like, there's nothing yeah. too scary about them. But I remember yeah. watching DOC for the first time going, every one of these guys is a different kind of serial killer, yeah. but they've all killed somebody. They've yeah. all, like, like the the little guitarist whose name I can't remember now. Uh, Josh Delsa. Josh. Looks, he, looks he like was, a serial killer. He was the one who had, like, the fucking human skin jackets you know, yeah. in his cupboard, <laughs> and then Tommy was Tommy was the one who just straight out killed people, and yep. Coit was the one who ate people, and like it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, and but like what you were saying, like they had the gear, like they turned up with the gear, like they had all this rack stuff, and it was like these guys are having a crack at something completely different, and it's working, like yep. yeah. And and do you know what the thing was that pushed us is they were doing it and we were like kind of envious, yeah. But it kind of pushed us to be bigger than them, yeah. And right. it was this okay. rivalry where we were like friendly, in, but obviously it was friendly, but yeah. there was definitely points where it wasn't. Okay, it wasn't right. to the point where we weren't friends, yeah. But there were points where it got to arguments yeah, on right. who was the bigger band, like. I, I, there were times where we were just like, "Yeah, we're fucking headlining." Where the where the, like <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't arrogance or whatever, but we'd just be like, "The time, like we're gonna headline." And if you, it, it wasn't so much like, "Oh, you have to like, we have we have to headline or whatever." But it, it it kind of became inevitable that our popularity had bridged way past the hardcore scene and the punk scene and whatever and we started to have our own crowd. DOC had their own crowd as well. Yeah. But we, we had just a different crowd and we were supporting the punk bands and like we went out with Ander Skeptic. Like Did you really? Yeah, like who well, well. because the, the idea where we were like if we turn thirty of these kids yeah. into being prom queen fans. Yeah. Then that we sell another thirty shirts. Yep. And stuff like and that. It's we just had more this people different, you get to your your own show when you come through next time. Yeah. And, yeah. So we just had a different mentality. But then the the I feel like without Day of Contempt, Prom Queen and Parkway Drive 
wouldn't even fucking exist. Like yeah. that, th- what they did and how their prof- how professional they were was what pushed bands like us to push ourselves into the kind of same realm, you know. Yeah. And then when we seen them going overseas, it made us want to go overseas. Yeah. But they they did it all before us. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were putting – it's like they were putting the path down for us yeah. to go, okay, we'll just follow these fucking footsteps <laughs> yeah. and then we'll see what's next. And that's kind of like I, I say always, I'm like, if it wasn't for Ben Coit, I wouldn't have wanted to sing. sing. If it wasn't for fucking Matt Maunder, I wouldn't have wanted to sing. Yeah. I seen those two dudes live and I was like, yep, I want to be in a band. That's me. Like, yep. <laughs> yep. And like – it, it just is – and, like, it, it, it's good because I still fucking look up to them. Like, yeah. I still am like a, a fucking mind snare sweater. Like, yeah. always will be. Yeah. Always fucking look, will be. And the the first – I mean, fuck, the first two – the two DOC EPs, there's two of the greatest things I think have ever been released for Australian hardcore. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's that's fucking untouchable. You know, they were yeah. – yeah, something else. And obviously mind snare goes without saying, but, yeah, they're fucking – they're two two great bands to look up to, and I think I think also DOC is really overlooked nowadays. Yeah, because like there's this whole revival of a lot of bands and whatever, but they should have been in that tier where Mind Snares looked at like the superheroes of hardcore. Yeah. DOC should be right there with them. They really should. Do you have an opinion on why they're not? Because uh, they released a rock CD and yeah. they tried to tour with Good Charlotte. Yeah, I <laughs> nah, mean, yeah. I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that EP was sick. So I, I really, oh, I think it was great it. as well. Yeah, they, they fucking gave it a crap. Yeah, good on them. Fucking good on them because yeah. you only get one chance. Yeah, and I'm sure they don't go. Oh well, we deserve to be doing shows. They don't give a shit. You know, yeah. like they're happy with their lives. Like they're all pretty much. I'm pretty sure majority of my parents now. Yeah. And they've all got their own shit going on and that's cool. Like they, they're like me now. Like yep. music music is something that's there and it will always be there but the real life stuff with your, with your family and your kids and, and stuff like that is way more important than yeah. all of this stuff, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. It's a – Sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow for some people, but you're absolutely right. And it's, you know, before we go, like I think it's a, it's been amazing to watch you from, you know, a certain distance where you seem to kind of have made – I mean, obviously you've got your own personal you, – you'll have your own personal struggles that no one will ever see on social media or whatever. But, like, you know, from a guy who – and we'll get into it later, like has played a bunch of bands and some worked and some didn't and some broke up and da-da-da-da-da, whatever – to all of a sudden, like, you own two tattoo studios? Yeah, I got uh, two and yeah. a barbershop. Yeah, Sorry. and the barbershop and you've got a, fanta- you know, a fantastic healthy-looking daughter and, you know, like, you seem to – like, it's a very – like, people would envy that kind of lifestyle. Well, the thing is, is, is I, all I've done is I've worked – if it wasn't for hardcore and punk and, and the method of how all of it worked when it came to booking tours or booking shows or dealing with band members, I wouldn't have been able to have done any of this because yeah. it's all essentially the same. It's like, okay, so today I've got to call a booking agent and today I've got to call the fucking – call Graz Resist yeah. and I've got to call fucking this venue and I've got to try and get the tickets on sale. Now I'm like, okay, I've got to call fucking – Karen, that's the health department lady at the council. Yeah. And I've got to call this guy that's a building inspector and I've got to call this guy that's the sign writer yep. and like stuff like that. It's just exactly the same. It's just different. Yeah. It's just a different avenue now. And yeah. that's, and like dealing with tattooists is like dealing with 
band members. Yeah. They're all really precious artists that need <laughs> yeah. to be patted on yeah. the back a lot. And totally I'm good. the same yeah. Yeah. and that's why we get along so well. And they're all, probably oh, I'd say 80% of them are either from music or not far f- removed from the music scene. Like they know yeah. Prom Queen and Parkway and they go to shows like I'll come in and they'll, they'll be talking or listening. They're always listening to metalcore or hardcore or punk or yep, whatever. Shop. It's very rare that we're listening to something different, you know, yeah. so. So yeah. before we go on any further, let's pick a song that kind of sums up late 90s, early 2000s, Michael Crafter. Day of Contempt, Drain. Oh, dude. <laughs>
dude. Okay, yeah, yeah fucking hey. Yeah. Alrighty, I oh, dude. Oh, what a fucking jam. Oh, like amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Still I just, timeless. Like, I hope someone puts it all on fucking records. Yeah. I hope someone does. I remember, uh, I fucked if I know what year it was, but when they did their reunion shows with Earth Crisis. Yeah, I, I went just, on it. Were you there? Did you do the whole thing, did yeah. you? Yeah. I went on the whole thing. I was like, this is this is a great trip down memory lane. Like, it was it was so good to fucking watch them. Yeah, it was fucking, it was weird because Confession played the same night in Melbourne and I like had to rush back we played an early like all ages show yeah and i had to rush back and i was like and like to, to even see i think like doc went on at 10 and yeah fucking thing like we'd finished by like nine o'clock just yeah. out in the burbs of melbourne i went back and everyone was like oh like there was something it was like fucking three four hundred there and there everyone's like oh so how was your show like because i've been on the tour for like a fucking week with it yeah i was like oh yeah it was packed and like how many people i was like i don't know like 800 and they're like why didn't your band play this? Yeah. I was like, yeah, but it's a different fucking world. Yeah, like, it is. Yeah. Like, I was like, we played here, fucking 100 people would come yeah. and not, not one would watch us that's from that's into this stuff. Like, yeah. I was like, I was like, it's two different types of world. Yeah. It's- and and uh, I was trying to kind of explain it to people at the time because I was like, the, that, that kind of uh, mosh hardcore thing in the Melbourne suburbs was always – a lot bigger than it was in the city. In the I city. feel like, yeah, 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 absolutely. So it'd be remiss of me to not, not to talk. I mean, you, we can talk on a bunch of bands, but and I don't know if you've ever talked much about this. I'm sure you have, but it was that long ago that you know maybe it needs a refresher. Let's talk about Big, Big Brother. Yes. <laughs> like so, uh, you know, I remember you did this. It it just goes to show the power of power of the internet. And the way that hardcore kids can manip, like early adopters to manipulation of the internet, like yeah. I remember, like so it would have been broken glass online and all that shit was popping, and you made flyers to get people to vote for you, and yep. like other people just would have been thinking, oh, I've got like a big circle of friends, and they'll tell their friends, and I should be sweet. Like you had Australian hardcore behind you. And, and and you know what like, that whole the whole message board culture of like there was probably about ten message boards at the time. It was getting voted by everyone. Yeah, like I remember going on Q Stereo and posting stuff yeah. about it on there and bombshell and screaming like everything. bloody mess. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. screaming bloody mess. I was trying to promote it on everything. Yeah. and on some people just give me shit. Yeah. But the, the, what actually happened was I went to see Frenzel yeah. and <laughs> Stu Harvey goes. Stu's like they're letting you vote for being on Big Brother. You should go home and make a video, like fully just joking around. And I was like, yep, done. So I went home, got on front of my camera and I went, yeah, my name's Michael Crafter, blah, blah. I know Winston from Parkway Drive, yep. like this is why I'm <laughs> going to win. And just like fully just dumb shit. And then I remember getting like it, like it showed who was leading on the website and it went to like number one within like days. I was like, uh oh, I was like, this could actually happen. Fuck, and, right. and then I remember going to all the like, I only went to two of the big things. And the first one was packed full of people, like probably 200 possible contestants. And so they only asked like five people to get up and talk in front of crowds to gauge how you've done. Yeah. And I was like, okay. 
So I've got the mic, like start talking to the mic. I'm like, my name's Michael. I live in Melbourne, blah, blah. And I was like, there's like, so why do you think you'll get on Big Brother? I was like, well, by looking at all these losers, I'm clearly in the lead by a long shot online. <laughs> so I was like, just give me a call when you need me to walk into the house. Yeah. And I just put the mic on the table and just walked out of the room. Oh, and, and then I just left. And then the lady comes out and goes, where are you going? And I was like, I'm just going to go home. Yeah, I'm goes, done. What, what do you mean? Yeah. And she goes, she goes, I was like, you just call me when you want me to go into the house. Yeah. And she goes, can you come into this room and talk to the producers? And I was like, yeah, okay. So then they're just like, okay, like this is what's going to happen and whatever. But at the same time, I'm like in my head, I'm like, okay, so if I go in on this date, I've got to be out by this date to get to Adelaide to go to band Cause, practice. Because we all knew that you had tours booked and, and shows oh, yeah. booked and stuff. Like, yeah. Everything was sold out. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I've only got, I was like in my head, I was like, I've got five days to be in here before I need to be at band practice. So like I pretty much just said to them, I was like, I've got to go on tour. And I gave them, they're like, they're like, oh, yeah, well, we need to work this out. I was like, you're going to have to talk to my manager. And I can't remember whose email I gave them to at the time. I think I might have made one up and pretended to be someone. Did you have a manager or you just faked no, it? No, yeah, I yeah. think I just made, said I was my own manager and I'm pretty sure I said <laughs> I needed, needed $1,000 a day to go into the house. And they thought I was a proper like internet celebrity. So they paid me a thousand dollars. You were, but like, let's be real. At the time, it was definitely like, well, I think, yeah, but it was MySpace. It wasn't fucking real. Like, I don't think but it was. It still isn't. Like, internet yeah, celebrities still true. aren't real. Like, yeah, you know. yeah, that's true. I just think, like, at the time, it was fucking crazy, but I don't, it just doesn't seem that weird to me. So everyone else, everyone's like, do you remember this was being this crazy? I was like, is it Bart? Like, they're like, you're on national television. I'm like, yeah, but whatever. But, like, it was it was one of us yeah. infiltrating, like, <laughs> Channel biggest. 10. Yeah. This ma- and, but it was more than Channel 10 because it was like, you know, that was there was Big Brothers all over the world. Yeah. None of them were singers in hardcore bands. Yeah, that's And true. all of a sudden, like, one of us doesn't get picked by a producer but one yeah. of us gets voted on. Like, yeah. could it happen today? Doubt it. There's too many. Like, there's too many other clicks where, <laughs> you know, influencers yeah, there, would get. There'd be some TikToker yeah. or influencer. Like, yeah, there'd yeah. Be, on Instagram, it'd be way too easy. But hardcore, like early innovators, just fucking yeah. went with it. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and also, like at the time, like. Hilltop Hoods were posting it on their MySpace. Were they really? Like, yeah, yeah. Like all these Adelaide people I knew were getting behind it. Like Fitzy was posting about it. Like Wild. just just people I knew from the south and stuff. That everyone was posting about it. So like, and I'm pretty pretty sure Stu, Andrew Hogue, like everyone that was on Triple J was kind of like bringing it up and yeah. stuff. So then like when when they when they were like, okay, you're going into the house. I was like. Holy shit! Like this is actually so, happening. So, like again, if you if it's if you've talked about it too much, then feel free just to not worry about. It. But like, how does that play out? Like from the from the meeting with the producer through to you walking in the door. How long a space is that, and how much notice were you given, and that kind of thing? Probably like two months, I reckon. Okay. And then they like put me into a Gold Coast apartment for a week to make sure I wasn't going to go mentally insane. So like this fucking lockdown shit. I already know how it's yeah, done. I did it, without, yeah. did it without the internet. But did you um, know you were – like there were three people that could have gone in. Did – like uh, that's what I remember that was like, hey, here's a top three and then we're going to introduce one of them. 
were they all in lockdown as well, thinking they were in, or no, like you no, were told like I, you I are knew, in? I knew I was going in. Yeah, right. Because they'd they'd already fucking um, they'd already paid for my rent in my house. <laughs> yeah, okay. And like started to like make sure that I was like going to show up. Yeah. And then <laughs> they knew the tour dates. They knew when I needed to be out by. Yep. And everything. I tried to convince them to let me escape at one stage. I was like, just let me. That would have been a cool storyline. I was like, just let me fucking jump the fence and see you later. And then they're like, you won't get paid. And I was like, oh, I need the money. Yeah, we good. Yeah. yeah, So it was like, by the time, like, the eight days I was in the fucking thing and the five days I was in the house and $1,000 a day, it adds up. A thousand a day? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. So I think I I walked away with about 15 grand out of it. Which is crazy, fucking crazy. I yeah. blew it. Yeah, of course you did. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's money I, that was never real anyhow. So whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but that that was. Then I just went straight onto a big tour. Like, and then that was even weirder because people were coming to the signings, going, "I seen you on Big Brother." Yeah. I'm like, and like, Bring Me the Horizon were like, not even a huge band, and they're just like. You're on fucking Big Brother, like yeah. what the fuck? Like, like and, the other week, they're like, yeah. they're like, this is the biggest show in in like in Britain. the UK. Yeah. yeah, they were like obsessed with it. They're like, if some if someone that we knew was on that, it'd be the biggest thing ever. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but it's not that big of a deal in Australia, I don't think. But yeah. turns out it kind of was to yeah. a lot of people. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> Again, it was just because it was one of us. Like, yeah, it makes a deal. It, it to me now, like I appreciate it and yeah. I appreciate the time. But at the same time, it didn't really seem like that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, fair but, enough. I don't know. So, okay, what about um, you? You do uh, park, uh, you do prom queen, and then all of a sudden you you're joining. Was it a Muir? Nah, bury your dead. Bury. Sorry, I always get confused. Okay, bury your dead. How does that come about? Like, so, so, so in. Uh, Prom Queen and me, when we did a US tour, really started to see the cracks starting to form. Like yeah. we were kind of on separate pages. They wanted to be a proper metal band. I still had this idea that you needed to still dumb it down a little bit, have the big fucking one-liners and yeah. be essentially a T-shirt mosh band because okay. you, the, you, you all you need is one fucking good line and put it on the back of a shirt and you'll sell 500 shirts. Yeah, kids it's, will laugh it it's, up. It's – yeah, like yeah. It, it's just one of those things where – and I still was like, well, we still need to stay in this lane and but then they didn't see it that way and it started to really be – and I kind of just stopped caring. Okay. And I re- don't think I put in much effort to sing well. Like whilst you were in the US? Yeah, yeah. while I was in the US, some days I didn't want to go. Like it was – I was a fucking hassle. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I know it now. And then I came home and they were like, yeah, you're out. And I was like, okay. I was definitely upset and depressed yeah. for a while. And then Marty in Carpathian calls me and goes, why don't you sing and I'll play guitar? Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So then I started doing that. So then we did a big tour, like a big headliner. And then we did, I'm pretty sure we headlined a Resist tour maybe. Well, we yeah. headlined a Rampage tour with us break even and 50 lines. Yep. Then I'm pretty sure we headlined the Resist tour that year, or maybe Parkway did. I, someone, I, I just remember it being big. And but I, we did a headliner at one stage, and I remember like us going, "Oh, 
it's going to be shit, it's going to be shit. And Graz was like, it's going to do real well. And we're like, no way, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. I remember we went to Canberra and there was like 300 people and we went to Brisbane and there was like 800 people. And yeah. like, it was like, actually like, I was like, this band's actually killing it. Like, and we, it kind of felt weird because it wasn't my songs, but at the same time, it was the most fun because we're all so close. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, I was in Byron around that same time and Winston's like, Barry Dead just got rid of their singer or he just quit or something. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's so fucking weird. I was like, wonder, like, who could you get? I was like, if you're that big of a band, you've just released this big tour, like big CD, yeah. you've been doing OzFest, you've been doing all the really big festivals. Yeah. How do you find someone? And now I checked my email like the next day and I had an email. Fuck. And they're like, we want you to come try out or we want you to send a demo. And, like, I was like, okay, like, fucking sweet. So I called D.W. Norton yeah. that was in Super Ice and stuff, and yep. I was like, yo. Because he's, cause he's got back, Blackwater, Backwater? Uh, uh, he had Backbeach back Backbeach, in the day. Sorry, but yeah, yeah, bad, yeah. Still has all, had all his studio stuff. So I was like, can we just run, run through a track? I'll just fucking do it in one go, as be as heavy as I can. I was like, they want to hear it raw, you know. So we sent, sent it and barely fucking edited it. And then they're like, called me and they're like, when are you going to fly? And I was like, oh, I still got a band and I still got a tour. And, <laughs> and then I, yeah, I parted ways with Carps. And so how, did, how were you on, on their the radar? Because of, uh, because of um, Prom Queen or? Well, because of Prom Queen and my friend Chris, who is now married to one of my friends, Carly, who's from Brisbane, she, uh, he at the time, we'd played Hellfest in 04, me and, town and kept in touch. Yeah, right. And and he said to Bubble, who played bass in Bury Your Dead, yo, try this dude. Like, he's like, he's fucking heavy, sounds a bit like Matt. It's a bit, like, he's from a metal band. Big following on fucking MySpace, like. So that helps, yeah. Try, try this. And then I ended up fucking, yeah, giving it a crack. Did they, did they pay for your flights or you just had to get there? Yeah, they paid for everything to yeah, get right. there and put me up, house and everything. And then like all my fucking shit was covered and then we just went out on this fucking huge tour. Like, Where were they based? In Florida or Florida and Boston between half of them lived in Boston or Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. Half of them lived in thing, And then so then we got in a van and drove all the way to fucking Massachusetts and started fucking jamming and then – Went on tour. Jesus. So, and then I probably, I lasted about a month and I hated it. It just, me and the guitarist didn't get along. He's a narcissistic psychopath that's now in jail doing 20 years. For? uh, uh, Kidnapping and armed robbery. I think with machine guns as well. It was all sorts. I think he got 20 something years trying to fucking extort people and tying them up and torturing them and all sorts. He got kicked out of the band um, a fair while before all this started happening where he became a psychopath. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they got rid of him and then he turned to being a legitimate scumbag. Life of crime, yeah, right. So what? where are we at now? I mean, as I said before, you're crushing it with, um, you're crushing it with your tattoo parlours and um, and your barber, you've, you know, you've just got, you, you've just, you like, I'm, it's really impressive. Like, as you said before, like you think dealing with just, you know, tradies and council and da 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 is like working with people, like working with people around the band. It's just amazing that you've kind of just shifted 
the band aspect and put it into a real life application, that seems to be working. I mean, COVID aside, seems to be working. Seems to be working fantastic for you. Hmm. Well, there was a time where like it, the band stuff came to an end. Like, even some real hectic stuff happened in like in probably a three year period where like my best mate got brain cancer. Like Kennedy was born. Yep. Um, in 2012, in 2000, and, just thinking that. So the end, the, the middle of 2013, my mate dies of brain cancer. Then my mum gets cancer mm. around the exact same time, um, and then told her she's got six months to live. So then my grandpa dies not long after that. Then my dad has a cough at my grandpa's funeral, which I'm quizzing him about. Gets lung, uh, fucking throat cancer, so then my dad dies just after the life confession, life and death CD was being recorded. So I was in um, in LA with a full book full of fucking lyrics. And I threw it in the bin at the airport because I was like, I just found out my dad was dying of cancer. And then um, I went into the studio and one night, like I was sitting there by myself just recording stuff. And the producers like, oh yeah, I lost my mum to cancer and. Stuff like that. So we had this fucking real good talk and stuff. And I was like, you know, press record. I'm going to like just try and work something out. And then I just sung the song like fuck cancer. I'll sing these words loud. And I, it just was, to me, that's one of the best songs I ever did because it was the hardest fucking moment of life because where it was time where I was enjoying being a father and whatnot. I was fucking dealing with so much other shit behind behind the scenes with my family being so sick and everyone around me being so sick. So then once once dad died and stuff, it, it kind of was like kind of a bit of a crossroads where I was like, fuck, where's this band really going? What do I need to do? And then one day I was just like, we're in Southeast Asia and China and a few other places. Like we did a pretty uh, substantial Asia, China run, like Southeast Asia, China run. Yep. And I was like, I've had enough. Like we've done all the big festivals, done the sound waves, we've done God knows how many Parkway tours, Parkway Euro tours, US recordings. Like Confession had done some really cool shit. And I was yeah. like, what else do I need? Like where where am I at with this? And yeah. then I just went, I'm done. It's over. And so we booked the final tour and then as soon as the final tour finished, me and my, my business partner, who's like one of my best mates, was like, where are we at? What are we going to do? Like, And then we were like, okay, let's do this. And we bought a, a tattoo shop of someone and um, it had some legal issues where it came to contracts of the, the lease and we got um, – uh, pre sorry, pre-existing legal issues. Pre, 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 no, yeah. pre, not pre-existing legal issues, but bought into a shop, signed contracts for a lease. Yeah. Had the lease tried to be pulled from us from a Westfield, and then essentially got paid out, basically to to get get out to of move. there because yeah, because they wanted to they wanted to upgrade and stuff like that, and where they were at, where with numbers wise, wasn't where we were at to where we wanted to be. Like we wanted to have a bigger shop for obviously less rent. Yeah. They wanted us to be in a smaller shop for a lot more rent, which is pretty 
always what happens with big shopping centres. Yeah, like yeah. they always think that they're doing you a favour and not the other way around. Yeah. Um, but you got to tell them it's bloody yeah. it's not 1987 and everyone yeah. doesn't want to go to a shopping centre anymore. Yeah. So then I set up the first shop where I was like. Okay, we'll put the barber in part of it. We'll put the tattoos all down there. And I was I just went in and went, okay, bricks there, wall there. And I just started like working out what I wanted and I had it in my head. And then that that just kind of kicked off. And then I was like, okay, well, this seems easy. I, I might do another one and found another shop and went, like it comes with the territory. There's politics. Like it's yeah. not. It's not a walk in the park. Like people go, I've had mates go, oh, so like why can't I do a tattoo shop? And I'm like, oh, you can, but it's probably not going to go well. Yeah. Like not the fact of you uh, you could be as successful as you want, but the person old school kind of town and you have legal, like not legal issues, you have issues where it comes to um, the tattoo world's very old. There's not many shops here, like yeah. not compared to other states, like in – the vicinity of where we are, there's probably in a so there's one other tattoo shop that's probably twenty minutes away, another one that's probably ten minutes away, another one that's probably ten minutes away, and then we're then close another we're pretty close to our other big shop, like yeah. the second shop. But there's not there's shops every probably five to ten Ks. Yeah. Not every five fucking hundred meters, like yeah, in Melbourne yeah. and Sydney and bloody Adelaide and stuff like that, because it's just a different world over here. But it's cool. Like I like, I like the old school way of how Perth is. Is it's, it um without touching on it too much? Has it still got um influences? Like, is there still politics that aren't actually politics there? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it without putting it, you know, like it. There's um, are there so people? Like, oh, are there still like overseers, kind of who will knock on your door and say, "Hey, like, just making sure you're, you're like." No, nah, there's not so much on my door because yeah, a different. I've I've been around things for a long time, but so it's still there. Like, is that why? It's, it's yeah, like it, well, there's there was a time where like there were fire bombings and yeah stuff like that, and it goes with the territory. Like when I was first starting out, I was getting fucking raided by the cops and charged for shit left, right and centre and arrested and all sorts because they still don't like the industry. Like they don't, they don't, they think there's, they still are under the impression that tattoos don't make money, everyone's just funneling fucking whatever through it, you know. Right, yeah. But yeah. in reality, tattooing fucking kills it. Yeah. And it's like, and, and even now like for us, will we come out of this and the borders will be blocked to Bali, the borders will probably block to over east People are going to get tattooed within WA and not go to Bali as much. Yeah. So we'll probably come out of this corona thing a lot better off than a lot of other businesses because people find the way, find a even when people are unemployed, they find a way to get tattooed. Still get tattooed. Yep. Look at look at everyone in bands in the early two thousands. No oh, one had yeah. jobs. Everyone no, had throat, neck tattoos. Like, yeah. yeah. And that that's kind of how it is. Like, and but I I like I like the old schoolness of WA. Like, and yeah. I love living here. And my I have a real good team of workers. Like we've gone through some fucking hectic shit together. Yeah. And like the barber recently had testicular cancer and stuff. So he's got kids of his own, was going through chemo. Like and we all fucking bound together and did some flash days and raised some money and I tried to help him behind um, with his bills and stuff himself just so like he didn't have that stress because I'd gone through it with my own family. and. Yeah. I'd hate to think if I got sick and my, my little girl 
missing out on what me being around and for yeah. me seeing him sick was was fucking heartbreaking and I just tried my best just to be there not even just as a boss, just as his mate because the, it goes further than when, when you're in a place like that and you're around each other all day, every day, yeah. you're not – You're not. I say to him, I'm not your fucking boss. I'm just your mate that runs this place, yeah. that owns this place, that puts a fucking roof for you to tattoo and cut hair and whatever else. Yeah. I was like, you work for yourselves. I just provide the venue for you to come working. Yeah. And, I, and it's the same as like – like it'd be like a band, a venue thinking they own the bands that come to play there. They don't own the bands. They just p- provide the place for them to play some songs. And yeah. I just provide the place for them to do some tattoos. Do it's, their work, yeah. Yeah, do your work. You fucking enjoy where you're at and fucking keep your drama at home and then yeah. we're good. <laughs> and that's and that's the, that's the best way to be. And I'm like, yo, I'm always there for them if they need a chat. Like if they've got some shit going on, I was like, trust me, I'll probably fucking – either gone through it or fucking I have some advice on it because you kind of have to be. And that's why I think with like it comes to um, like blokes especially because we're always the work. Like girls talk to each other a lot more. And for me, when I was going through my stuff with my family, I talked to a lot more of my female friends because getting sad and crying in front of your female friends is a lot easier than crying in front of your fucking big tough mates, you know. But when it comes to work and stuff, I'm like, trust me, I'm like, I've been through some fucking shit. I'll fucking, I'm a big sook, so to speak. Like when I get up upset, I'm not afraid to fucking cry. And, and yeah, and like I've suffered from crazy amounts of, I've really suffered from depression because there were points where like when my family was sick and stuff, I was like trying to keep it together. But you're like fucking trying to keep fucking together, ice melting, you know, like there's nothing you can do. So th- that's why it's it's good to try and be a supportive person, whether it be in your fucking band or in a business or whatever. Like I feel like even if I did a band nowadays, you'd, as an adult, you would probably handle a lot of the situations better because Way better. Yeah. you've grown, grown up and you realise that, it's not the be all and end all, and you can probably chat about it and not yeah. storm off like a dickhead because yeah. you're not happy make, with the way things are going and make rash decisions. Yeah, yeah, like you're not going to quit every five fucking minutes. Yeah. Like, and that's that's the difference now. But it's good with with work because I do have a good bunch of people around me, and awesome. I don't know if you have good people around you, you have a good business. And your mum's still around. Mum's good. Mum's yeah. mum. My sister's just got done with chemo. My oh, sister had, um, she had uh, in her lymph glands. Yeah. So she like they were near. Mum doesn't tell me too much because she fucking doesn't like to worry me about and your so sister she, or about just herself. About, just about just everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So she tells me bits and pieces, mm. but she said it was more like my sisters were like near inside skin cancers in her lymph nodes and in her lymph glands. Um, so they removed all of them. So like they've cut like there and yeah. and everything. So she's still got a feeding tube in for the time being, but then they think they've got it all, which is a fucking bonus. Yeah. So it's definitely hit the family pretty fucking hard over the years, but fuck, hopefully hopefully Corona doesn't get us all and we'll yeah. fucking... <laughs> we can, yeah. Keep on know. keeping on. Yeah. Mate. Unless you've got, I've had, I've had a fucking fantastic time chatting to you, and I really appreciate it. 
Um, no, that was great, mate. Unless you've got anything else to plug, like, and feel free to, like, you know. No, no not not anything really. Um, well, when the just, borders open up, go see go see Crafter. Well, yeah, come to WA. Team, yep. Don't go to Bar. Don't go to Bali. Fuck going to Bali. <laughs> clean, yeah, you no. know, clean clean equipment against the grain. Two locations. Yep. Yep, two locations. Hopefully, more soon. Is it a bad religion reference, or it just hundred percent a bad yeah, religion good. reference? Fantastic. I <laughs> I named it after bad religion, but then Parkway have the line in a song, and it says like against the grain forever the underdogs. But they probably they stole it off bad religion. Yeah, they as would well. probably probably stole off bad, <laughs> that bad religion anyway. And like Luke's got against the grain tattooed on his leg as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I always put like forever the underdogs because I just think it's a sick line. Yeah. Because that's what I feel like it was. For me, opening, I feel like my I went against the grain of what everyone else was doing in this state and kind of had a no-fucks-given attitude to open a shop against what everyone else was telling me. And then that's why I'm like forever the underdogs because we were a fucking underdog to be able to do it. And to not just do one, to do two, I'm pretty far. Like I am happy with myself. And I'm, but not only that, but I'm happy to be working with a bunch of my mates who I met through music and I can hang out with them every day. That's fucking fantastic, mate. So let's, let's wrap it up. Let's pick a song. Like, where is, what, like, pick a song that kind of sums up Michael Crafter in 2020. Dad, business owner, pasta, tomato sauce eater, you know. What can I end with? Probably we'll just end with uh, we'll just end with bad religion against the grain. Let's, dude, doesn't get any better than that. Three thousand miles of wilderness overcome by the flow, a lonely restitution of pain and public show. I seek a thousand answers, I find the one or two. I maintain no discomfiture, my path again renewed. Against the grain, that's where I'll stay. Swim in a stream, I maintain against the grain. You're labeled as a lunatic, sequestered and content. They're ignored and defeated by the government. The Orientic public, whose magnetic force is full, but away from the potential of the individual. Against the grain. That's where I'll stay Swim in a stream I maintain against the grave The flow is getting stronger With slow increments of time And that these new ideas Are increasingly hard to find You need all that the other has It's your right to seize the day But in all your acquisitions You will soon be swept away Against the grave That's where I'll stay
Alrighty, thanks for hanging out. Thanks for checking it out. Um, next week's episode is actually going to be an original me episode, which I recorded just recently, um, which were really fun and got great feedback on the last one. So I hope you dig the next one and there'll be more to come. Kill. The war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich, that's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And the long stem rose Everybody knows Everybody knows that you love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do Everybody knows you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet Without your clothes And everybody Everybody knows what you've been through From the 
bloody cross on top of Calvary to the beach of Malibu. Everybody knows it's coming apart. Take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows.